0: joining us, all of you supporting the Atlas Society, those of you on Zoom, those of you joining us on YouTube, you know what to do. We have a really unique opportunity, so please ask your questions, keep them short. We'll try to get to as many of them as possible. Now, I'd like to introduce a man who needs very little introduction. Jay LaPierre is president and CEO of the Louisiana-based Latrum LLC, a diversified global manufacturer of industrial equipment, including food processing. Um, Objectivist business ethics helped him overcome the challenges of Hurricane Katrina, uh, the severe recession of 2008, Gulf oil spills, uh, and those same principles continue to help him navigate the various business challenges of 2020. Jay is the past chair of the Tulane Board of Administrators, the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry, uh, the Business Council of New Orleans, and the Isidore Newman Board of Governors. Jay, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Fantastic to be here. I'm pumped.
0: (laughs) Um, So usually it's like, a meal and I save this little morsel to to the end but with you I am going to be able to start right up at the top with your origin story uh we're seeing a bit of some symbols of it on the wall behind you uh some of the the posters that you have but Jay tell us how how did you discover Ayn Rand what's your origin story
1: Oh, well, that's just um, pure serendipity. The um, really w- one of the luckiest uh, events of my life. I had a uh, a roommate. I was on the uh, basketball team at UT Austin. I uh, wasn't getting to play uh, because they were trying to win the games, but I was I was still uh, you know part of that team. And we had a uh, junior college uh, uh, transfer uh, come come in, and we roomed together my junior year, and we were talking early that fall, and I said, uh, communism is good in theory, but it doesn't work in practice. And he said, communism is the most immoral political system ever conceived. And I was, whoa, I mean, what is that about? Uh, I don't know how many hours later, he he was incredibly frustrated, uh, quite uh, at the point of saying, look, you're, you're so Uh, stubborn, and I'm sure he used a few uh, expletives, um, and so ignorant uh, that I just can't ever speak to you again. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, piss away another night, uh, uh, this many hours until you've read some books. So he gave me some uh, Bastiat, some law, the law. He gave me uh, Hazlitt, Economics in One Lesson. He gave me uh, von Mises. I think it was praxeology, but I'm not sure what, what it was. But he gave me Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. Uh, the um, And, uh, you know, Man's Rights, the Roots of War, uh, What is Capitalism, the Nature of Government. Um, I read those and the, I just was the, 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 the clarity and the compelling... Nature of that, uh, I was uh, I was done. I mean, as soon as that happened, I'm, I get it. Now, I didn't agree with Rand on a lot of things, um, as best I understood them, uh, for many many years. But um, but at that point, I was on a journey, and that uh, that was it. it was pretty amazing.
0: Well, speaking of that journey, uh, in addition to our appreciation for the philosophy and literature of Ayn Rand, uh, Jay and I also share some. Louisiana roots. My mother's family, the Durols and bienvenues come from St. Martinville, and I spent many summers there, going to uh, to church with my my grandmother, who went every single day. So, um, how did coming from such a, a religious state, did uh, the philosophical and practical changes? Um, happen in your life and, and what, what was that process for you?
1: Well, I, th- I think the, the implications were immediate in the sense that it started me on a journey and that journey was uh, a consistent effort to introspect. And the, the most significant part of it, I think, was Rand's view of a heroic life and making the best of one's life and the fact that the world was win-win, um, I think uh, somewhere uh, all of the other philosophy, and I'm sure it's not original to Rand, or at least I assume it's not, but because uh, you know clearly economists had had written about the invisible hand and things of that nature, but the the, the fully win-win nature uh, was something that I never um, uh, I never recognized or appreciated. And then the exalted view she had of America and the founding and those sorts of things. So that was a journey that I just was excited about because I just started reading everything I could about that. And I, I never, I just parked religion. And I and I honestly have, have never thought of that in anywhere near the same level of importance, um, you know, as, uh, and, and then years later, I came to agree with her on it. But at the time, I, I just didn't think it was that important and, and didn't worry about it. And to this day, I think, I, I think there are aspects of, you know, when I look at the people I respect and admire, um, that doesn't seem to be a central issue what, what, uh, in, in, in how I deal with people. So especially when I look inside our company and philosophy and those sorts of things. So it was not a problem um, that, uh, that inhibited me. I was too excited about the uh, the other the other the other parts of it <clears throat>
0: um so when and how did you discover uh the atlas society when did it become something that you wanted to spend a lot of time on i have to i just want everybody who's joined us on zoom and on youtube to know uh jay is supportive in many ways but he's been very hands on and that has been one of the biggest perks of uh, my job at the Atlas Society is to learn from him in our weekly calls in which we go, you know, into the metrics and the numbers and the decisions that we have to make and kind of get his perspective as an entrepreneur on them. But I know how I came to the Atlas Society, but how long uh, have you been involved in, in who, what was your introduction?
1: I don't, I don't remember the dates. Um, uh, it's, uh, what is it? Uh, since the memory of man runneth not to the contrary or whatever that quote is, I mean, it's been a long time, but I, I was, um, huge fan of uh, Leonard Peikoff. So I was a huge fan of, of, uh, of a lot of the work, um, uh, that, uh, that was uh, a part of the organized ARI, you know, um, uh, and to this day, uh, just benefited tremendously from all of that, all that learning. And I was, I was reading, um, uh, I read Fact and Value and, uh, and Leonard's assessment that, uh, that Rand uh, defined objectivism with her philosophical writings, and very much like the Catholic Church, that, that that was the standard of what objectivism was. And I thought, you know, damn right. Uh, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, you, you have to have standards and you can't let this thing get watered down. And, um, and I was telling someone about that. And they said, well, have you, have you read uh, David Kelly, uh, Truth and Toleration? And I said, no, I haven't. And they said, well, you really should if, you're, if you really want to understand this. And I can't remember the timing of any of that, but at some point I got a copy of it. And I read it, and I went, oh, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's not where my head was. And uh, so I reread Fact and Value, and I reread um, Truth and Toleration. And then I somehow connected uh, and went to um, Atlas Society events. I think it was called the Objectivist Center at the time. I'm just not sure what the names were. And um, began to appreciate the depth of uh, David's position of being committed to truth, uh, as opposed to uh, loyalty to people or anything else. And that uh, we could either be, pursuing truth or we could be, uh, objectivism could either be about pursuing truth or it could be about uh, the the, the philosophical writings of of Ayn Rand and interpreting those, but it couldn't be about both uh, without saying that Rand was uh, infallible. Um, uh, So you then say, so what is an objectivist? And you can be an objectivist if you say, well, I'm just an admirer of Rand's writings, but you can't be an objectivist in the sense of saying, well, objectivism is true. And, and I, I think David uh, framed that well, and that's, that's what uh, got me. And then, of course, you know, becoming involved with the Atlas Society, I think that David's um, benevolence uh, and his elevating that as a major virtue, and the I, th- I think that the, <clears throat> the spirit of, um, of not being judgmental uh, without adequate facts is really an area that's, that distinguishes, um, David's view of objectivism from um, uh, uh, how some interpret Rand and, and possibly how Rand herself, because I think Rand was just so smart that she imagined um, uh, that others could see the same thing. So she imagined intent where it didn't exist. And, um, <clears throat> and David was, was, has always been uh, a great injustice is to, uh, is to misjudge better to wait until you have all the facts. So those are, those are the reasons. And then you look at the people. Uh, so I just got more and more excited about the people, the association, the team we have, people on that board, uh, John Higley, Laura, I mean, what a, what a fantastic human being. Um, uh, I remember complaining to John one day about how, uh, how I, I really hated tipping. I just, it made me nuts that I'm, I'm, I'm never prepared. I don't have it. And I and John said, I love tipping. Tipping's fantastic. He says, what I like to do is over tip. And I think in terms of flourishing and being, um, exuberant about life, I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's just, uh... and, uh, Frank Brooks, who, um, I think I still, uh, one of our teams still uses the idea that reality bats last. Uh, mm-hmm. Frank is just such a clear, unemotional, logical, decent, you know, person. And, uh, Baron Bond, these are the longtime uh, guys. Baron, who uh, who pushed that uh, that our we're all about ethics and uh, personal ethics, and we're not as objectivists going to do anything for politics. Uh, we have to be about the culture and impacting uh, uh, individual ethics, and from that foundation, then you have a a real shot of a culture that respects reason and achievement and benevolent self-interest and all the things that we we value. So and a team. I mean, I love this team. I think you've, uh, you've been amazing and what you've done is fantastic. And I think we're, we're doing great work. We're reaching people who I don't think ever would have had the opportunity to be exposed. And I, I'm just so grateful that somehow I got exposed, um, that I think, uh, sort of emotionally, any, any single person we reach is exciting for me. You know, it's just, uh, any new mind uh, is uh, is a great thing. So that's 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 what that's what I uh, that's what I've benefited from, and I've gotten more out of it. I learned from everybody all the time. Uh, you know, we got a new member, Peter Kopsis. I mean, oh my God, he he just knocked it out of the park, and his uh, set a standard that makes me uh, scared to come <laughs> on here. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, no, it's amazing. It's, it's open objectivism, but we've got a very close knit. Um, Group both on our board of trustees and the Atlas Society staff, which is growing. So, all of you that are out there and uh, interested in making a change and doing something um, new and being a part of uh, a team that is on the rise, then um, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you and work with you and uh, appreciate your support um, and please ask your questions of Jay LaPierre. We are going to try to get to as many of them as possible. But first, Jay, um, I wanted to uh, go back to a really fascinating interview that you did with uh, our senior scholar, Stephen Hicks back in 2012. Um, You referenced how objectivism has influenced your business philosophy and that it has been key to your company's growth and its success globally uh, and in dealing with some of those many challenges that I outlined at the top. Could you elaborate a little bit on how objectivism has influenced your business approach?
1: Sure I, th- I think uh, you know on the on the list of um, of uh, you know sort of my gratitude list, uh, th- this has to be uh, uh, you know foundational because it gave me the the intellectual tools to, to approach business in a, in a very clear-eyed way. Uh, first of all, define what business is, and that is the, uh, the, the business organizes uh, resources in order to produce uh, products and services for trade at a profit. You know, so we're, we're engaged in attracting uh, talent and capital, and then organizing it in order to produce value. And everyone who participates in that is engaged in a win-win process. And if you understand that it's, it is about individuals and, it's, and the rate of change is accelerating in a dramatic way, maybe 50 years ago, you could run a business where you say, here's the top down, nothing changes, you got one genius at the top, and they figure it out. But in our business, it's about attracting um, uh, the, the talent and uh, having those people work in an environment with people they respect and admire, and then having everyone share principles that they're committed to. So we, we you know, we put a bounty on the on the cultural terrorists and get rid of them, and we uh, we hope they go work for our competitors, uh, even if they're talented. And we try to get everyone to uh, to have skin in the game and to be aligned. And we expect um, what we call as errors of intent. we we don't We don't want to spend a dime on policing.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: we 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 want anyone who commits an error of intent. Uh, that's it. You should be you should be. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's it's you know termination in every case, but it. Everyone knows there's there's no exceptions for that. So that foundation of you're here to serve your own interests. And it's about appealing to the greatness in every individual and that every individual, regardless of the type of work, is capable of doing excellent work. And that's what guides us every day. And I think we, we feel that when you deal in a rate of change like we're dealing in, uh, or you deal in emergencies where God knows I'm the last one to know the facts about what to do on any Given in any given granular you know, situation. Um, it, it's, uh, it's vital that, that people uh, uh, take responsibility, think like owners and organize themselves to get their work done. And also say that it's, it's directly opposite what we were told when we went global. Uh, when we went global, the, the, everyone said, well, you're going to Europe, you're going to have to figure out how to he- celebrate each each of the different uh, diverse cultures, you're going to have to figure out how do you, um, you know, uh, so, sort of recognize that people are different. And we said, you know, BS. No, we're going to, we're going to uh, uh, frame our values, and we're going to attract uh, the people who share these values, and we're going to build a great organization uh, tied to that. Uh, people who, who, uh, who admire uh, greatness in others who learn from each other, who are introspective, who are on a journey of self-improvement, who. Um, treat each other with all these all these basic simple things so I don't think I could have gotten any of that but for the clarity that Rand brought uh, that it's all about the individual because we had an awful lot of consultants who told us different and then of course when we've gone to Asia uh, we've had the same uh, effect that we've attracted people who love what we stand for
0: so shifting gears into um, the most recent crises or series of interrelated crises uh, over the past year, what about the impact of COVID, of lockdowns, unrest on your various businesses here in the United States um, and around the world?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, it was it, it's been tremendously challenging. Uh, we, we had a number of cases. We, well, first of all, when the uh, well, when COVID occurred, we're we're in the food uh, manufacturing support business, so uh, groceries are going crazy, wanting to stock up, and our employees are scared to come in. So we have uh, a, a, a tremendous challenge, and it was because of the trust that we had in each other, the fact of our transparency, our commitment to being. Um, uh, open about everything that that people said. Okay, I get it. And we also—I uh, should have mentioned this—we we take 42 percent of what we make uh, after a return on net assets, and we put it into incentive pools. Uh, in addition to having uh, lots of uh, you know other commissions and and uh, and gain sharing and other programs, because we're trying to align interests as best we can. Um, and I think we had some real leadership who said, "No, we'll come in." Now we did have over 100 cases uh, since, uh, and the vast majority of those in Louisiana. As you know, New Orleans was a hot spot uh, early in the game, but we worked through it. And um, the biggest problems we had were tied to uh, regulations uh, across the country and across countries, where the question was, could you actually send? people to install significant equipment and do these things. And that was a regulatory nightmare. We were deemed an essential business, which I, I always thought was a flawed approach uh, to the, to the issues to begin with. It should have been about how do you, how do you keep you know safety and how do you have people meet whatever the regulations were. Um, so uh, that planning was a nightmare, but over, over time, we, uh, we got um, sort of acclimated to, to how to, how to, how to work through it. So it, it, it it has actually worked out where I'm confident we'll come out of the back end of this far better because we've used remote technology in a way that's much more efficient than we ever imagined for uh, even commissioning complex equipment. We put a Hmm. piece of equipment in, 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 I think it was Vietnam, uh, where we did not have a single person travel, uh, and it was a first install of a, uh, you know, a, a piece of equipment that's, you know, a couple hundred feet, you know, so it's a you know, big-ass big, big system, to put it mildly, you know? <laughs> uh,
0: well, speaking of these food processing systems, and I come from the, the food industry at Dole Food Company, and uh, one of the areas that it <clears throat> did really well was with the their innovations that they had in their salad processing plants. Um, but when we go back to the origins uh, of... COVID, there was at least some concern. Uh, We may not know conclusively, uh, but but at least there was a public perception or a public narrative at one point that there was um, some issues with how food was being processed in China uh, in terms of the sanitary conditions. Did that impact that create more demand for your equipment?
1: The the whole, um you know, wet market issue uh, I think has been elevated. And I think that uh, there's, there is uh, a concern, even though now the facts have come out and apparently that was not the uh, the cause. It may still have been a, where it spread. I don't really know for sure. But, uh, but wet markets have been on the target, uh, have been targeted for a while as dangerous. And I think as China has to fix that, that probably could work out well for us. Now, what doesn't work out well for us is uh, is that you know we we live on global trade, and um, I think that that demonizing trade as win lose is a major mistake. It's win win, and the real game should be about about the um, the corruption, the stealing of IP, and all the things that uh, shouldn't be going on, as opposed to uh, trade deficits, which I just don't think makes sense. But all of that trade war language is a bad is a bad uh, bad thing for our business.
0: Well, I'm going to jump ahead then to one of our uh, other questions here, and um, we are still, you know, not. We don't have clarity, uh, and we do not have an elected um, new president. But you know, you've been critical. You've you've been, I think, balanced. You've had uh, some things that you appreciated about the current president, but other things that you criticized, particularly in with regard to. Uh, setting up trade, you know, and conflating all of these issues, such as um, intellectual property issues with um, a balance of of trade. Uh, What do you, are you thinking about primary differences um, for businesses such as yours with one uh, administration or the other?
1: Yeah, it's regulation is the, is the best thing now that, that Trump did. Now he did not, um, in my view, uh, do enough to uh, institutionalize that through legislation. But his push to deregulate, I think has been a greater, has had a greater impact on the economy than anything else uh, that he did, including the tax cuts. But that's just, that's just my layman's you know, view of it. Um, and I think that what we're, we're about to walk into is, a, uh, is, a, is, a, is even more uh, free spending, which is insane. And uh, and then uh, uh, regulation run run wild. Uh, President Obama uh, viewed that he didn't he didn't need legislation. He can just he can just uh, regulate. And Trump uh, did the same. And so I think it's teed up for uh, for you know a, a really bad regulatory experience. And we're already seeing it with the uh, discussions on COVID. The idea that we'll have a a national standard and you know this will this will be you know, great thing. I, I just think that's terrible, and it's and it's very bad for, for uh, potentially very bad for business, and certainly going to be uh, overkill in the sense that uh, one size will not fit all, and it's uh, it's ridiculous to think it will.
0: <clears throat> so that plays into a question that we have from one of our viewers, Sue Baird says, "How do we reach more of our political leaders that make policy to understand objectivism and not agenda?" Driven. Your thoughts?
1: Well, I I think the I think the most important thing we can do is is personal ethics, and I think that what what we at the Atlas Society have done is is make uh, make Rand uh, uh, less radioactive and more uh, smile friendly, uh, for lack of a better way to frame it, so that we could reach people and. And have the ideas actually be assessed for the value of the ideas, as opposed to for, uh, you know, just just uh, uh, an off-the-cuff uh, dismissal. Because Rand was a, a, a serious—I uh, uh, mean, it, it, you know, she she is a, a world-class uh, uh, philosopher and innovator, and yet she gets no visibility except a uh, derogation from uh, from from that. And I think what we did by saying it's not using selfishness, but explaining that uh, benevolent and ethical self-interest is uh, is fundamental, it creates the avenue we can actually start having these conversations. And um, you can see that business needs this very badly. Uh, the Business Roundtable embraced. Uh, this uh, this idea of well maybe business shouldn't be about about the interests of the um, of the investors and the owners and, and we start to have these these this um, this self uh, censoring culture and this uh, th- this idea that somehow uh, a, a for profit is is wrong when if you say no it's it's really about win win and business is the only it is the only way that you can scale win-win values um, and, and, and consistently scale win-win. There's nothing else. There's no, there's no other, you can't, a family might have it, but they can't scale. And uh, nonprofits can only go so far with it. They don't have the same accountability to, uh, to customers and markets and, and, uh, and clearly. So it's, it's, it's incredibly important that we not try to lead with politics but try to lead with philosophy and ethics, and 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 hit where we're strongest, which is business ethics and personal ethics. <clears throat> I don't know if that helps.
0: Yeah. Well, so among the personal ethics, Jay, one virtue uh, that you have consistently emphasized in the past few years uh, with me, and um, in terms of something that you would like to see philosophically more unpacked. And at the very least, to start with talking about um, gratitude and looking at it from an objectivist lens, of course, we did My Name is Gratitude as one of our Draw My Life uh, videos. I I know a little bit more about this, but if you would share with our viewers how this became so important to you, what it means to you, and why do you feel that it's important uh, for us to promote in a philosophical context?
1: Well, I, I, I first I, I, I concluded that a gratitude was a, a major self-interested virtue, and I have been uh, pushing that. Uh, the philosophers, uh, 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 some see it as a yes, some no, but it takes a lot of discussion, and it's really hard to say what it what it, exactly is it where it fits. But I approach this as a layman, and I and I look at. Uh, at what Rand used to talk about—the age of envy—and you look at resentment, and uh, you look at victimhood today, which is—I mean—it's out of the closet into the streets and running wild with no one, no one saying they have a problem with it. It's—it's it's as if we're glorifying victimhood. And if you personally—if—if if you say, <clears throat> let me run an exercise, and I think the the uh, positive psychology people and and. Uh, 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 have have run exercise where they say just just spend a few minutes a day thinking about what you're grateful for now one day think about the people you know in your in your family the next day think about the people who influenced your history the next day think about how lucky you are to be on a planet that has uh, all the opportunities that, that exist here then think about the people who who brought the rule of law and and uh, and and protection of individual liberty, and it gives you the freedom to, to to make these choices. Now, how do you feel about about the world? You can't actually hold victimhood and resentment and envy in your mind at the same time. Now, flip it and run this exercise, and then think about think about all the people who have ever done anything wrong to you, and really dwell on it. Just ruminate on on that, and then think. You know about what their intentions were, and don't assume good intentions, and don't imagine that. They, no, and think about how just the worst possible in everyone. Then, how do you feel? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is just—it is—it is so obviously a major self-interested virtue that, as a layman, I just get—and—and uh, and I think that if—if if today people brought. A sense of gratitude uh, for the amazing uh, prosperity that we enjoy, the amazing opportunities we have. I don't think we could see the level of uh, resentment and victimhood that exists, and and a big part of it is this comparison to others, which is hugely problematic. I loved your panel um, on it with the athletes because, you know, here you have these these uh, these world class athletes who go at it with the idea that, you know, what what did uh, uh Laird. said about Laird, you know, he, he'd rather yeah. die. He'd rather die than lose. And then, <laughs> and then he said, and he said, yeah, but the real point is challenging and developing the best in me. Uh, gratitude gives you the mindset to get on with that. It it has you appreciate what you're good at and, and recognize that you ha- you have weaknesses and 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 anyway. So there's a lot here, but I love, I love, love, love. This, uh, this, this, <clears> this <throat> virtue.
0: This theme. All right, Atlas Society Gremlins. Maybe you can drop into the comment section um, the link to the. Uh, my name is Gratitude. Draw my life as well as the panel that Jay just referenced in terms of uh, the athlete as Atlas panel that we had at the Atlas Society gala. Um, And in terms of the philosophical firepower that we have at the Atlas Society to develop this theme of gratitude as a benevolently self-interested virtue, we have the philosopher in the house, um, our senior scholar, Dr. Stephen Hicks is here. He's got a sort of a different question here. I know that uh, in the waterfall, Section of our site as well as the atlas intellectuals meetings that um, he's been helping us host Uh, He's been delving very deep into um, artificial intelligence uh, uh, Virtual reality and some of these new emergent disruptive technologies and his question is how does one draw the line on? technologies that could be used against us is there a general principle or is it an individual technology by technology decision?
1: Well, at first, this is way above my pay grade, Stephen. So uh, that's uh, that, that's. Uh, but I, I would tend to uh, to say that the precautionary principle is not the right one. That we need to uh, to look at this as uh, general bias to. Um, to allow technologies unless we can see that there's going to be a, a substantial uh, risk. And a lot of this is the, what I'll call, uh, Rand's minimalist view of metaphysics. That I just don't know uh, until you actually uh, get into the facts here and, and uh, analyze them. But <clears throat> again, um, if, if, if you don't know Steven, then the chances of me knowing are, <clears throat> are less than nonexistent. So. <clears throat> me
0: sorry about that well well, we're gonna have we'll we'll get stephen back on on one of these soon um, to to talk a little bit more about that um particularly after the gala in which we had peter Diamandis uh as our honoree the only technology that i want to ban is leaf blowing okay (laughs) yeah Uh, but maybe that's not really the right kind of way that i should be thinking of it i need to think about how zoom is going to have an ai filter interface so that, you know, oh. they mask and it doesn't even, you can't even hear it.
1: Well, apparently uh, Chip with Yowl was wearing uh, red shoes and I told him that, that uh, he, he should be, he should be careful that that's not banned because uh, it's something uh, you could easily imagine uh, those of us who have different aesthetics uh, saying, hey, shouldn't be tolerated.
0: Uh, yes, um, and, and that is uh, Cliff Maloney, I, I, or was it Cliff Maloney? Or, uh, yeah, yes, our one of our great partners, Young Americans for Liberty, and his trademark red shoes, of course, um, colors, yes. primary colors have now become politicized as well. So that's why I'm kind of opting for uh, lavender. So... Um, Okay, so I have, we have another question uh, from Vicki who is talking about her 21-year-old son who always wanted to be an entrepreneur and started a uh, business with a storefront in February uh, and was closed down in March before they even opened. Plus uh, they were completely looted by the first round of riots in Los Angeles. Um, she's asking, what advice would you give to young people like him so that he doesn't get discouraged?
1: Yeah, I'll, obviously uh, dealing with adversity of that nature, uh, you pour your heart and soul into something and then you build it and then you have it uh, you know, destroyed uh, because of um, a, a lack of government doing its job, its fundamental job of protecting lives and property. Um, that's a that, that's a that's a bitter pill and it's uh, I think uh, once you work your way through the emotions of this the uh, the, 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 the face reality as it is uh, don't uh, don't BS yourself and um, and then focus on what your options are and uh, primarily start with uh, with thinking and 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 um, and then recognize that uh, at that age, uh, that 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 this is a long runway, and uh, you should recognize that there's a lot you can do that can build your human capital, uh, build your uh, your skills and abilities, and competence attracts opportunities. And if you if you build those skills and develop it, and you uh, work on what I'll call a sense of moral ambitiousness for your character, uh, that you will be in a position to have options. What's what is remarkable to me is how often people say, "Well, that person was really lucky because these opportunities came by," and you go, "Well, how many opportunities would an incompetent person need uh, when they come by?" So I think I think that that being prepared. You know is is uh is just prepare yourself recognizing the rate of change is accelerated that is that, that the number one thing you can do is not have a particular skill but have the ability to think and and uh have self-control and be a person of integrity uh treat people with respect all those sorts of things are are, are a big deal so
0: yeah i i think it is a huge per, uh, matter of perspective i like to always say to be objective You have to have perspective. And sometimes as objectivists, there isn't enough of that. Um, And the issue of gratitude, I think, really uh, not from a kind of a Thanksgiving, you know, hallmark uh, approach, but just sort of saying, okay, what is it? How do I weaponize my experience? Yeah. Everything that's happened to me, including the most horrible things that have happened to me, yeah. um, that uh, you say, yeah, that was really unpleasant and my house burned down and I lost yeah. a bunch of money, but I, I gained these uh, skill sets and a resilience and ability that, you know, maybe it's not going to seem this way, but in not your first career, your second career, your third career, but like at some point it's going to be who, you know, you have this incredible ability to do things others can't.
1: F- fully agree. And that That mindset is, is a, a, a huge part of the foundation and reinforces why I believe it should be a major virtue, right?
0: All right. David Kelly. Calling David Kelly. Calling Stephen Hicks. Uh, calling Richard Salzman. Um, okay. Sue asks, I find it interesting that those that don't put in the effort to make a business are the ones... That demonize uh, the risk-taking owners. If they succeed in reducing the profits of companies, will that reduce the incentive of creating excellent companies? I think that's that's a very interesting question because, I, you know, a lot of the greatest entrepreneurs and innovators that I know, you know, uh, they they didn't go into what they did. I mean, you know, your dad who started out with these inventions of like shrimp killing equipment. You know, he didn't do it uh, for the profits necessarily.
1: I think that's true, but, but I, I don't think you can separate these two without having a dramatic injury uh, because the injustice uh, issue becomes uh, overwhelming even for someone who's motivated by, I just love the technology. But more than that uh, very very little of what you can do maybe some things on the internet or some things but but in manufacturing today in the industrial world very little of what you do that's genuinely innovative can be done quickly and easily it takes uh systems are extra, extraordinarily complex they're uh they're integrated it's um so even testing something can take a tremendous amount of capital and um and that that in itself is not going to be provided by the entrepreneur, and someone has to fund those years of uh, of mm-hmm. passion, and someone has to keep that going. And investors aren't going to do that. So the 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 idea that you can separate these things is, is fatuous to me. It just isn't. Um, it, it's um, it, it's 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 actually bizarre because if anyone put themselves in that position, uh, first they neither they neither love what they do in most cases, <laughs> you know, and their, and their passion is only for destruction, not for creation. So I don't know how anyone can reach that conclusion that uh, without, without the money incentives, this will all continue to be generated.
0: Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's one of the reasons there's debate within the Liberty Movement. People say, oh, don't say capitalism, you know, it's a bad word, say whatever you know free market whatever they just keep chasing some less controversial uh label but but the bottom line is the reason that we celebrate uh money and we celebrate the currency of a free market as the currency of a free mind and uh and defend capitalism um is not just because it is the only moral system which is consonant with uh man's Existence as a rational being, but because it takes capital to invest in new businesses. Yeah,
1: yeah and I, I'm I'm fine with whatever terminology works best to get the ideas in the door. But I don't, at the end of the day, and I, I it, it is sad that Marx is the one who came up with the term and all those things. But it is what it is today, and you you have to go and defend it because. You have to start by clearly defining it, and one of the things that you want to make sure we avoid is what many people think of capitalism is the cronyism. Of course. And that is, and that is a major negative because if cronyism is, you know, five percent of the of the um, economy, and my guess is that it's it's less than that in terms of its total GDP by mm-hmm. a lot, but it still is enough to debase. And to injure the perception of capitalism, and to, uh, uh, to 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 undermine all all of what people know uh, to be virtuous from a perception point of view. So it's it's it's, it's it, you really have to think language that that's clear and free markets uh, may may help do that. But I would come back to say, you know, the nobility of business, the fact that business is is win 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 everyone wins from business, even the people who think they lost. Uh, we've had many situations where a competitor has done something that we thought was impossible. And uh, it doesn't happen often, but, it, it, but it, it's, it's, it's a number of times. And we thought, oh, that was impossible. Oh, no, they did it. Then we learned a lot. And uh, we've made ourselves better from that. And it, it, the, the, the profits that the innovator makes uh, get commoditized into consumer goods. So even the competitors who lose benefit from all of that generalized prosperity in a way that is uh, is so genuine and deep. It's just hard to understand how anyone doesn't celebrate this. And uh, you know, I think Stephen had a, had uh, uh, some work on this. We should have statues to these people uh, who, who uh, <laughs> to the great business innovators. We you know we we have uh, statues to political leaders and. You know, the, the first most enduring characteristic of business is, is trust. Mm-hmm. If you don't trust uh, everyone in the business and, and, and if consumers don't trust it, then there, nothing is going to happen because it's win-win, it's value for value. And the first casualty of politics is truth. I mean, it, it, is, it is equivalent of war, it's just gone. So why do you want one over the other? anyway that's my uh my rant
0: okay so that actually fits perfectly into this next question from brian on youtube um who asks how important do you feel it is for a business to cultivate their own company culture Uh, And are there currently any organizations who help spread objectivism through company culture? A softball for you.
1: Yeah, I think that that objectivism is is naturally part of what any highly competitive, uh, highly uh, high-performance company culture uh, ought to be based on. Uh, if it is a complex culture that's not tied to, you know, one or two or a small number of, of geniuses or have some, if you want to build an enduring uh, global uh, uh, organization, if you're talking real scale, um, you, you can't escape. Uh, face reality, uh, use, use reason, uh, respect achievement, uh, treat each other with respect, be honest, bring integrity. Um, Uh, Focus on the fact that you're a work in progress, that you're trying to get better every day, Um, bringing your best game, uh, challenging yourself to be introspective, uh, uh, challenging yourself to make the highest possible contribution to the team, Um, uh, treating, uh, I mean, it just the list just goes on and on right now. David once said that I and I loved it. uh, Someone was talking about what it. Well, that's not really objectivism. That's a lot of other stuff. And David said, "Well, you know, anything that is true uh, is actually uh, objectivism because if that's that's what that's what the philosophy is. And and you start with, don't ask me to come to your team and sacrifice myself. I'm coming to your team out of the my my personal interests." And that's why I'm here. And I think when you do that, you, uh, you get alignment. You get win-win-win. You get a scale of win-win-win. Anyway, that's, uh, that's my cut.
0: All right, well, we are, um, we've got about 10 more minutes, folks. So you still have some time to get your questions in. Uh, Mark Shoup asks, thanks for explaining. The cronyism is really a very small part of even this mixed economy. Um, of course, capitalism, the term gets a bad rap. How do we take back the moral high ground by taking back the word morality? I,
1: well, I think, I think the way that we have uh, framed it, and you can, uh, you can pull, I don't have it handy, but the objectivist mission, uh, the Atlas Society mission, yeah, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. Uh, inspire people to embrace reason, achievement, benevolence, and ethical self-interest as the moral foundation for political liberty, personal happiness, and a flourishing society. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that, that morality needs to be connected to benevolent self-interest and uh, elevating gratitude and having it be about personal happiness at the end of the day, in a way that can't be demonized to a dog-eat-dog, win-lose world, is the is the start. And I think if someone says, "No, no, no, that's not morality," I don't know anyone who doesn't care about their interests, and whatever they are, um, they should be free to pursue those and to and to and to serve them. And I think that is what that is what ethics and morality ought to be. If you flip it and say, who should be able to tell me how to run my life? Mm-hmm. I think you get to a, a different moral point. And that, that I think is foundational to regaining uh, the, uh, the high ground here.
0: Denny3161 says, how do you prepare for threatened revolution in policy and regulation? Uh, do you take these threats seriously um, and adopt a wait and see approach. I guess he's probably talking about the potential uh, change in the regulatory attitudes um, at, the, at the federal level. Or, you know, if they happen at the state level, Jay, like, I mean, how, well, how, how you much can, t- you, time you can you spend on that?
1: The, the, one, of the, one of the beauties of, um, of, uh, of what can happen in any particular industry in, 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 in food. I don't think, which is where we are in, in, the, um, in the fulfillment centers with the FedExes and those, those pa- package handling and that sort of stuff, we, we don't expect to, to see uh, huge regulation. But if you look at finance, um, mm-hmm. I expect that the big guys are quite comfortable with regulation. They have uh, organized themselves to be able to, to manage it. And, uh, and as a result, it gives them a competitive advantage over uh, the small niche players who might try to, to enter. Uh, the oil and gas industry, I think the biggest uh, benefit that uh, that they will have is that reality will bat last. Uh, you can't take these unreliable uh, uh, fuels and scale them. Uh, you can't uh, you you can't use uh, renewables uh, and, and scale. It's just not gonna not gonna work and 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 not destroy the environment because the land space it takes, given the density, is is huge. So, I think at some point. There, there has, there will be that, that recognition, um, but I don't know that you can prepare for it. I think one of the fun, fundamental problems is the difference between volition and win-win, which you can always prepare for. Win-win, you can always anticipate with more brains, with better technology, but force. Uh, uh, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you guard against people using cronyism to shut you down, or, or, uh, or even populism? That's a hard one.
0: Yeah, uh, while talking about the unsustainability and even economic damage of some of these um, supposed environmentally uh, safer technologies, um, one of the ways that Jay uh, pumps lifeblood into the Atlas Society is is not just his um, leadership, financial support, managerial, Uh, advice but the ideas that he gives us for the kinds of books that we should have in terms of our book club as well as guests that we should have on uh, the Atlas Society Asks and next week is one of those guests that we wouldn't have had if it wasn't for Jay's suggestion which is Michael Schellenberger uh, author of Apocalypse Now yeah so uh, so that is you know one of the ways that we can prepare, which is not necessarily to hire you know a bunch of lobbyists um, uh, for for business or high-priced consultants to try to figure out and model all of these potential um, eventualities, but to inform ourselves and to inform young people about uh, what what the real dangers and what the real you know opportunities also are. Yeah. So okay, we, I'm going to take one more question because. Uh, Every time fossilized Dodo, I, you know, I'm always going to ask one of your questions because I just love saying your name. It's so cute. So uh, fossilized Dodo wants to know: Do you think the Washington revolving door contributes to corporate cronyism?
1: Uh, well, yes. I mean, how can you? I, I would say the best question. The most concise question that that uh, someone who's a regulatory fan ought to ask is who regulates the regulators, because uh, the lack of transparency, the special interests, the hijacking—it always gravitates to uh, to the people who are the insiders. It may start with a noble mission; you start with that, with the uh, the Baptists, and but pretty soon the bootleggers come in there, and then you have the bootlegger Baptist phenomena. Uh, where uh, where they peddle uh, whatever it is for the public, but behind the scene, it's all about uh, follow the money, and um, I think that's a major problem. Uh, 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 the other day in that um, totalitarian discussion that uh, 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 Stephen uh, moderated with with David and Richard, yeah. I thought I thought Richard's observations about uh, democracy were were really significant because the founders were all about protecting liberty and the constitution was designed to protect liberty. But you, what you see now is, well, no, it's really all about democracy. And I, I think that that is foundationally problematic as you move to populism. I have a plan. Uh, I won't uh, I can uh, I can share it for all those. I think that we should uh, drop democracy and come up with a plan where we just have a random selection of a thousand people that become the leaders, pay them a couple hundred grand a year. They take a test. It gets uh, pulled out of a lottery. Those people make uh, 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 every serve six-year terms, no, no other term, and that's it. And I think you'd uh, you'd cut down on a lot of the, um, the lobbying. I think you'd represent the people better, and I think it would be a far better system. But no one's asked me yet. <clears throat>
0: Well, all right. I think that is, this is a new facet, Jay, that I am just discovering in terms of your uh, innovative thought. So we're going to have to give that more thought on those of you who are interested in what Jay was just talking about that panel on authoritarianism. uh, That was with Richard uh, Salzman of Duke, as well as uh, Stephen Hicks and um, David Kelly on our team. Uh, So, Atlas Society Gremlins, if you could please serve that link up also into the discussion, that would be great. Otherwise, guys, you can find it on our Facebook, our YouTube, uh, and of course, sign up for the newsletter because I think Sue had also asked, how do we figure out about these uh, events other than the gala? Well, first, what do you mean, other than the gala, you need to come to the gala next year because it's going to be even more spectacular than this year's gala. Um, but head to the event section of our site and, uh, and just hit us up at the Atlas Society. Let us know where you're at, where you'd like us to, to come and travel to. Uh, and then in the meantime, we are going to be doing these every single week. Lockdowns, no lockdowns. This has been a wonderful, happy surprise, uh, at the Atlas Society. Thank you. Authoritarianism link is in there and, um, I'm grateful. Joe. I'm very grateful. I'm,
1: uh, I'm I'm uh, deeply grateful and um, close with the best we can do to promote these ideas is uh, simply to be a great example of uh, rational benevolent decent people and uh, and uh, happy is, uh, is a big part of it so great and I
0: won't I wouldn't close without also I don't know if you're gonna be this happy about this Jay but uh, one of the things that Jay knows <laughs> at, the- at the gala okay not just a double. It's not just a match, which we already had, folks. We have a double match um, between now and the end of the year. That's um, a board. That's a board.
1: A board match. Board
0: match. I know, but it was your idea. I thought it was an excellent yep. idea. Yep. So, what do you say, guys? Shall we have our board pay up? Five bucks to the Atlas Society gets fifteen but bucks.
1: That that's on any any new or increased gift from here to year end, right? From right. Time, Gala to year end. So. Okay. All right. So
0: let's do it. All right. Well, thanks, Jay. Uh, Say hi to everybody and uh, talk to you on Friday. It was
1: great fun. Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye.